Did you know the 1960s saw the birth of something more than just Woodstock and the American folk revival? It also brought about something that many of us take for granted today. That would be concert photography. Welcome to The Long Roll. This week's guest, I'm pretty stoked to have on for everyone. What they do in the world of photography is definitely different in the traditional sense of what you see when we showcase work on the Eddie Adams Workshop alumni highlights. Um, What they do, I think, when you see for yourself and you go research more about them as we have them on is you definitely look for these opportunities when you're experiencing the events that they're out working as a professional. Uh, This individual, I learned, is an adventurer and a risk taker, and it's safe to say that this trait was probably passed on by their father. Uh, This individual had their passion evolve from horseback riding into the world of photography, and they married that to be able to land working with some of the world's most accomplished musicians and artists. I could go on and on, but let's just go ahead and get into it. Let's go ahead and welcome Claire Powell. And Claire, welcome to the Long Roll Podcast. Thanks, Griff. Super, super honored for the invite. Awesome. No, I'm definitely honored. Uh, for me, um, you, when ever since meeting at the workshop, uh, I was uh, definitely... I don't know if you remember this, but I know we met like in the the little muddy gravel parking lot, uh, right, literally right as you pull up and as, as you arrive. And then I'm out there just to go out and and uh, I think meet John Cherry also just pulled up at the exact same time or did he ride with you? Yeah, I know he rode with me. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, but then just meeting you and then uh, connecting some of the dots later with like the kind of stuff that you cover with uh, musicians and artists and all these incredible rock concerts. Um, this podcast and, and being able to tell people stories, you're also one of the first people of probably about three or four that came to mind that I really wanted to sit down with uh, because what you do is so different than traditionally what you think of when you think of the Eddie Adams workshop and you see a lot of the photojournalistic work and and really um, I know something that we would love to do better is communicate this as a workshop for all kinds of photographers that there's something to take away for everyone and so you living a life to where um, you get to travel around and cover all these different rock gods and and uh i'm just envious i'm jealous and i'm excited to learn all the things from you today so nice thanks griff yeah yeah and so first thing i always like to ask this first is uh do you have any first memories uh when it comes to photography with you or your family or or school or something like that yeah, so my dad, um, he's a he's a dentist by trade, but he's also this crazy psychotic adventurer. He used to he was a mountaineer, he's a paraglider, he's a sailor. And so he used to vanish for weeks at a time, and then he'd come back, and a few days later, he would force us all to sit in the living room and watch his slideshows. <laughs> okay. And like yeah, yeah. I was I was young at the time, and so um, he's a he's a slow talker and he takes his time <laughs> to get through things and so we always kind of dreaded them mm-hmm. but like in retrospect they were probably pretty awesome yeah um, and so I remember kind of thinking like oh this is neat but also 
get it over with, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then um, throughout high school, I rode horses. And so um, I started competing pretty frequently in my hometown. And there was a time um, I entered a three-day event and my dad was super interested. And it's not that he wasn't supportive of my career as an equestrian, but he was especially interested in the cross-country jumping. And he would he, he came out with me. I remember he came out to train one day and I was kind of thinking like, why is he here? But he was scoping photo spots. And so there was one jump that was this huge, it was huge to me. It was like yeah. four foot six oxer, which means like a widespread jump on top of a hill. And so like the technical elements of getting this jump right were important. And my dad decided that that was going to be his shot. And this is back in the film days, obviously yeah. without rapid fire frames per second. And he just nailed this picture of me going over this oxer. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what turned me into thinking that photography is pretty cool. And so uh, going back um, a couple things, do you, you still, does he still have, or does the family still have uh, some of those images from back in his days he was traveling? And, and if so, have you ever been interested to go sort of look at them now, maybe from like a different perspective as a photographer? Oh yeah. I would love to do that. Um, I, I don't know whatever, they were all slides. That's yeah, that, yeah. that was his, that was his format. And so I don't know whatever happened to them. He actually, when he retired, he bought a sailboat and sailed around the world almost. <laughs> Because he shipwrecked in Argentina and had to get plucked out of the ocean by the Coast Guard. So most of his possessions are in the trench. <laughs> Have you ever heard of uh, the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? I know. <laughs> so that, I mean, just he, like your dad's story just sounds like his life story just sounds incredible. Uh, no, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and like... Like that's wow. Uh, I'm just really thinking of just finding himself in all these different situations and people that that operate at a capacity for just I get living life to the fullest and and then two to have um, the thought the forethought to actually capture all that on film or in, in images and have those keepsakes forever uh, is really cool and has those things that he's done and captured and, and showed showcased on top of uh what you did when you did horseback riding or is that the appropriate term yeah i mean okay yeah, go ahead okay and but so is uh did any of that inspire you to uh capture any kind of like um travel or adventure photography on top of like the work that you do now oh yeah for sure i i i have a long-running personal project where i kind of travel the world and seek out like ruined and abandoned spaces and um I just I just it's kind of like my coin collection you know like you're never really sure what you're going to encounter and um you kind of get what you're given if you're given anything at all and I I like that I like the struggle between yeah like, time and you know it's it's yeah. always so photogenic and and so I really think that I got my my guts or my or my balls to do that kind of stuff from my dad right because yeah you know, you can enter a crumbling castle and the 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 floor falls through on you, or there's like junkies <laughs> living in there, you know, and yeah. like you can never really um be sure about what you're gonna encounter. And um a lot of people um wouldn't take that risk, you know. Yeah. But I really think that something in his adventurous spirit has translated to me for sure. 
That's really dope. And you were horseback riding and uh, you you were doing some pretty cool stuff. I know I did horseback riding probably about five years ago, just uh, crawling and climbing up on a horse. And it was uh, in very, it was scary uh, <laughs> and bouncing around. And so just that was just riding and trotting along. So I can't even imagine jumping uh, over barriers, four feet, two feet, even one foot for me. I would be freaked out. Um, but when did it get to the point to where um, you started uh, maturing or outgrowing that to where you started picking up a camera? Can you sort of share about what that path looked like? Yeah, it was a pretty direct translation, actually. I worked, like I rode horses growing up, and then um, I went to university for political science, which was just a waste of money. And after... Um, I left that. I got a I got a job at a thoroughbred breeding farm called Winfield Farms. It's probably the most famous uh, breeding farm in Canada. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Northern Dancer, but they bred Northern Dancer. Okay. He's found in seventy five percent of racehorses. Oh wow! And so um, yeah, um, that kind of translated into like a ten year career at the racetrack. And uh, I, I was a groom. I was a foreman. I was an assistant trainer. We had a horse in the Kentucky Derby in two thousand twelve, which was amazing. Um, and that, you know, part of my job was to, um, record the horse's workouts in the morning and then, you know, videotape them. And then I would send them to my boss who lived out of state. You know, we had, we had strings everywhere. And so, um, you know, a good chunk of my day would, would just be sitting on the rail and, and watching horses train. And, you know, from 19, I always loved taking pictures um, it, it happened quickly that I started to see the world through a viewfinder or through the format of a viewfinder. And, but those, those mornings at the racetrack really changed the way that I approached photography and I started mm -hmm. to get more serious about it. After the Derby, um, I went back to Canada and tried to re-enter the States on another B1 visa, which allows me to conduct Canadian business. And I had a little bit of a problem. Okay. So <laughs> Um, there was a little, there was cross wires or something yeah. and, and they wouldn't let me back in the States. Okay. Are those so, uh, self-inflicted or uh, an honest mistake? I honestly think it was a misunderstanding because okay. yeah, we won't get into it, but um, <laughs> it was bad. And I got, I got refused entry like three times and, and basically couldn't return to my career. I could work in Canada. Oh, wow. but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Okay. And right about that time, I had a family member who noticed uh, what they called a God-given talent in photography. And, and they're very strong in their thoughts that, you know, the importance of education. And so they offered me a scholarship to, to get my bachelor degree in photography and like really delve into it and see what could become of it, mm -hmm. which was amazing, amazing opportunity. So obviously I snatched that up and I went to the Art Institute in Fort Lauderdale Oh, nice. Which is uh, Carol Guzzi is also a graduate. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, that's the, one of the first names I think that. of. <laughs> um, and during that during that time, I actually got an internship at Gulfstream Racetrack, which is a huge world class racing facility in South Florida. And, and it was always kind of in the back of my mind that maybe I could return to my beloved industry as a photographer. And um, that internship was amazing. You know, I had full access to a world-class facility. If I wanted to set up remote cameras under the rail, I could do that. If I wanted to shoot from the starting gate, I could do that. 
Um, and I learned a ton about being ready for pictures and preparing and, you know, they're not going to rerun a race if you miss yeah. the last. <laughs> no. you know? You're one and done. And, and I had a great teacher and she taught me, you know, I was shooting horse racing with like an F2 200 fixed portrait lens. Like it was just yeah. an unbelievable opportunity to learn and use like uh, pro gear. And um, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, towards the end of it, I kind of realized that these people like they're after the same shot 11 times a day you know, like the finish line shot. Yeah. Which is cool. But like, I kind of started to feel that I wanted to broaden my, my subject matter a little. Right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was right about that time that I heard about the workshop. And so I went while I was there. Um, obviously I had to convince my sponsor that it was a good idea. She said, okay, well, we know somebody in New York, who's a friend of Stephen Wilkes. And so while you're there, we want you to meet with Stephen Wilkes so he can talk to you about your future. And I said, okay, like who doesn't want to meet Stephen Wilkes, right? <laughs> and so I guess the art dealer contacted Stephen Wilkes and he said, I'll be speaking at the workshop. I'll meet her there. That's <laughs> incredible. Wow. <laughs> right? So I, well, I have some questions and I know I'm going to backtrack a little bit because um, I just find it fascinating. Uh, with your original passion for horses and horse riding and, and that community and that culture. Um, do you, do you feel, um, before you got any kind of formal education, um, with photography, do you feel like the passion that you had for that culture and that community, uh, help translate through your images at the beginning and sort of help, I guess, create a refined look of what you saw there instead of, how uh someone starting out if they weren't shooting something other than just random photos they they'd have challenges on uh, the technical ability to be able to capture a shot and and communicate and convey their idea oh well i mean i i I did shoot a lot of random stuff as well you know Mm -hmm. um i was always walking around with my camera but i think that like having such a love for horses, I I could see things, post up picture of their eyeball or like a blurry mm-hmm. images of their legs moving like that quickly started to interest me rather than just a, a regular, you know, landscape shot of horses. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it like the love that I had for it really inspired me to kind of translate that into into photos so that other other people could see the love that I had for it, you know? Yeah. And what about, yeah, 100%. And so do you feel um, that you were able to take those experiences and they benefited you when you started going through and at the university and getting a degree in photography? Did you see a a connection to all that? What I really saw was like anybody can learn the fundamentals of photography, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think having an eye for it is something that you're, you're born with, or you have a sense for, or whatever you want to call it. And so I really noticed that once I went to school, like there was a definite shift in the quality of my pictures. Once somebody explained to me, you know, like rather than going out there and figuring out for myself, once people explained the rules to me and, and how things work, there was like a definite shift in 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 the quality of the pictures that I was, you know, outputting from then on. Mm-hmm. Um, but because you know, when you when you first start shooting, you think you're the best, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, wow, 
this is an amazing picture of water dripping into a pond you know you're so pumped <laughs> yeah. kind of thing um but then once you you know you learn the rules and then you start breaking them like that's the fun part right no exactly and, yeah and so for you and you you got to the point to where you get the education and you start to see like there's a path in the future and you you're trotting through there where does it get to the point um to where you start covering music and and how did you stumble upon that um well music was was like a a huge part of my life um my uncle when I was growing up he was the road manager of Tragically Hip who are Canada's like biggest rock band and so I was always going to concerts with him you know we'd go to sound check and like I had the coolest uncle and um he he is also the one that would play me you know Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin nice. in his yeah, basement, yeah. you know so like I got an introduction to good music early and um I guess I just always had a camera and I always thought it would be cool to try that I think it was like 2008 there's a band called Meshuga who are like <laughs> extreme extreme heavy metal from Sweden okay. yeah nice and um, they were opening for ministry in Toronto. And so I went with a friend of mine and we were like one of four girls there. You know what I mean? Um, and we were talking to the merch guy who worked for, for Meshuggah. And he gave me his MySpace, which really dates <laughs> yeah. this interaction. <laughs> okay. And so I was like, oh, this, might, this might come in handy in the future. Right. And so like a year later, Meshuggah were coming back and... I messaged him on MySpace and I, you know, I said, Hey, how about I trade you? Um, this is back in the day, um, a bag of weed for a photo pass. Nice. Yeah. You know, because like artists come to town for a night, they mm -hmm. might want something to chill out. This is <laughs> right, weed exactly. it might, like this might be helpful. Who knows? Yeah, right. 100%. And he, and he liked that trade. Okay. And so <laughs> yeah, it worked. I rock up. I rock up with my camera and I have no business being there because <laughs> this is this is long before school, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the pictures were terrible. Like we're talking three stops underexposed, mostly black and red. <laughs> yeah. Blurry, but not for like aesthetic purposes, just because I didn't realize that, you know, 15th of a second wasn't enough to stop musicians. Um, but the dudes were cool and they were, you know, gracious enough to let me shoot whenever we were in the same place. That's and, um, super cool. Right. And so you can really see if I look back at my career as a photographer, I can see the most growth in like my Mashuga albums, you know, from yeah. the from the first date until now, even, right? Like mm -hmm. I and their show is like the definition of spray and pray. Okay. We're talking like <laughs> the most, the most lights you could ever imagine mm -hmm. backlit, you know, there's no point putting your camera on aperture priority because it doesn't have time to even Figure pick up. You'll just drain your battery. It, it's like, it makes your sensor schizophrenic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the frames will go from pure white to pure black with like something mm -hmm. usable in the middle. And so I really feel like my second, education and photography came from sugar shows nice and um yeah it was it was funny because I was explaining this to I shot their UK tour here what, last year I think it was and I was explaining to like one of their new crew members like oh I'm really lucky they ever let me came, come back because the first pictures were terrible 
And one of the guys is like, yeah, but the weed was good. <laughs> you know, it's about so, relationships. You know, it's, it's all been about this mutually beneficial, Yeah, this mutually beneficial relationship for as long as, you know. Yeah. And and it was great because, like, uh, music photography is, you know, its own anna. It's, it's not easy. And, you know, you're pushed. You're in tough conditions. You're pushing mm-hmm. your gear to its limits. And it was really like, I'm really thankful to have a, uh, to have had a space where I could learn and fail without yeah. the pressure of like, of like being paid for it. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? 100%. Um, yeah. I learned a lot at those shows. So what, um, do you recall what it was like, um, when you're thinking about, okay, I want this opportunity, I would love it. And you're imagining it in your head and maybe how romantic of a situation it's in, you know, how really cool. And then you're up there. You're up there for the first time. You're in a different um, spot, maybe then you're traditionally in just watching the show and taking in the the scene and the environment. Um, was it any different for you, like having a lot of people at your back, um, knowing that you're essentially this buffer between them and what they're there to do and what they're there to see? Yeah, I mean, like, I always wanted to represent their show how they put it on, you know, like, a lot of the times when you see music images that are printed in the newspaper, for instance, it's like it will be a full, fully lit shot of the lead singer's face. And that's about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so these guys, you know, they they design their show like they do for a reason. They're, you know, they're older guys, they're metal heads they're not you know they're not pop stars that are hoping to be recognized on the street type thing mm-hmm. and so I always tried my best to photograph their show the way it was and it, and it was great that I was you know there was no pressure on me I wasn't fulfilling a brief or anything like that so I could get creative in these ways yeah um, yeah so you're shooting that show and you're walking away from the first one and what are your initial takeaway thoughts and how did you know that this was something that you wanted to do with the rest of your life? Well, it was like a 50, 50 mixture of super pumped and super terrified, right? Like what if, what if I got nothing? What if these all are terrible? Mm -hmm. Um, But it was also really special to like have an opportunity to collaborate with people that you've looked up to and you know you've you've listened to on road trips and you've you've cried to you've had banged to you know like having that small opportunity to collaborate with them is is like humbling and special and um yeah I, I think that being a photographer offers a unique opportunity to combine two of your favorite things right mm-hmm and so, and and that that was just addicting to me. I love this. I love too, and um, the coincidence because what I learned with John Cherry and last week when I was uh, able to sit down with him is uh, he. That's essentially how he got his start in photography into where it was like a he transition from being a hobby or something he wanted to pursue to where it became something he was starting to get paid for is taking photos of his friends uh, and and their band and then getting seen by a local talent for uh, plays and ballets and stuff. And, uh, and then for you as well, and sort of see how you all are 
both incredible and uh, successful, but also how the paths are so different. But like the origin of of that is in a similar starting point. And it's really cool to make that connection with uh, everyone from the workshop. And and uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those sort of neat things I didn't necessarily anticipate when starting something like this, but to be able to experience that is is definitely a treat to see. And for you, so you're shooting these shows and you're going through life. Um, how did it get to the point to where you stumbled upon being able to work with some incredible talent uh, and a lot of really world-recognized artists? What was that um, path like to do everything that you were doing to where you you stumbled upon these incredible, really cool opportunities? Well, it was mostly um, shooting everything that I could shoot you know I wasn't concerned about um, necessarily getting paid for it I was just trying to get better at it mm -hmm. and so whenever an opportunity came up I would take it and um, you know you learn a lot of important lessons every time you shoot something like this you know and so during that those trials I just slowly developed a portfolio that I could use to sell myself to bigger acts and, you know, every time that I shot for someone, someone else would notice and then I'd have another lead into an, a new area. And it, it just started to turn into this like self-serving thing, you know, um, it, it would draw attention and then I would, I would get more opportunities. If you don't ask, you don't get right. And yeah. so it just it just turned into a lot of cold emails and sometimes that would work and sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes I'd have to, you know, ask people who I knew in the industry, like, hey, do you know anybody who works for this band? Like, I'm really interested in shooting for this band. My goal was always Bonnie Bear, right? They're my favorite. They're my favorite band ever. Yeah, I was a fan of Bonnie Bear long before I was a photographer. And um, that was always a goal of mine. And so I tried and I tried and I tried, you know, and never got a response. I would email papers. <laughs> I would email the management. I'd just be like, I need a photo pass for Bonnie Bear. Mm -hmm. I noticed that like a, a mutual friend of the band was playing in London and, and I had met him at a, at a show, you know, earlier in the week. And so I sent him a message and I said, you know, nice to meet you. I know you're playing a show in London next week. I'd love to photograph it if that's something you're interested in. And he's like, yeah, come on out. And so I shot the shit out of this show, right? <laughs> yeah. I brought I brought a Hasselblad. Oh I, wow! I brought everything, and wow. um, just thinking in the back of my mind, like maybe if I do well in this, he'd he'd help me out, and mm -hmm. and he did, and and so he reached out to Bonnie Bear's management on my behalf and said, you know, Claire shot for me. Is there any opportunity for her to shoot for you? You know, they asked for my portfolio, and and I I threw one together and sent it over and they said okay you can take your pick of of our european tour and it was funny because i had tried for so long and the week that i actually shot for them the first time was the same week that i graduated with my master's degree and so oh crap right and so yeah. it was kind of like su such perfect timing because if i had shot for them any earlier mm -hmm. i wouldn't have been happy with the images you know, they maybe, yeah. but I wouldn't be near the caliber or the experience that I was when I went. Yeah. And um, luckily for me, it turned into, you know, like I'm 
I'm proud to say that they asked me to come back, you know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's surreal still walking into one of those shows with a photo pass just because like, it means so much, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a huge believer in like, if you love the music, then your pictures are going to have something else. So going and shooting the shows um, and accomplishing what you've accomplished um, does it change um, sort of what you want to take away from these experiences um, that you're having now? Um, is there anything different that you're looking at when you're working with these artists, um, either new or the ones that you're most excited and, and and passionate about? So like going back to when you started shooting artists and, and you had these incredible goals of working with uh, artists that you were passionate about and you you finally get those opportunities has your goals shifted uh when it comes to working with artists and musicians or have they stayed the same well I still always want to portray the show in a way that you know they're intending Mm -hmm. and but I guess um I've over time I've really started to try to get more creative in the images that I put out, whether it be, you know, like shutter drags or, or later uh, superimposing images over top of one another in Photoshop to like kind of develop a style that is recognizable as mine. Not that nobody else is doing that, but um, um, I, I like, I like to produce a series of images that aren't necessarily expected from a live show. Um, and so I, f- I feel like, you know, those are the pictures that I get the most pumped about when they turn out at the end, because they're, you know, I'm a little quirky. So I like, yeah. I like, I like to produce um, things that are un- unexpected or that, you know, that someone could look at it and think like, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think to do that at a, at a show. Yeah. And um, I'll probably forever be, be chasing these goals. But yeah, I, I like to, I like to give something a little unexpected. Okay. And so and with that, um, I know there has to be some challenges uh, when it comes to working with different artists uh, and bands. Um, have you, can you sort of share any kind of unique challenges that you've had to problem solve in order to make sure that you're coming out of the photo shoot successful? Um, well, recently I had a band ask me to shoot film only, which was interesting. Wow, that's like, stressful. Not, just to think like about that. that. It, like I can respect the request, but like honestly, <laughs> um, do you know what you're asking? You know, and they mm-hmm. did, and it, it's understandable. Like when you think about their aesthetic and the music that they make, it's you know, it's like a little analog party, and so um, that was a good test of of you know reverting back to you know you can't review those images, you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, but also. But also, like, what do you go in with, you know, because every every roll of film costs money and then every, you know, you got to develop it. So that was just an interesting test that that comes to mind. But also, like, there comes a point where you have to think about, you know, the importance of getting the picture versus the importance of the audience, the audience experience. You know, if if suddenly like a, a heavy show turns acoustic and the lights go down and it's like one person on stage with a guitar, you know, your instinct would be like, I need to get down there and be in the middle of this and like photograph this. But to do that would would likely throw the musician out of their 
element, Mm -hmm. you know, to suddenly be confronted with a lens in their face. It might be the wrong time for that, but also, you know, you might be disturbing the front row of the audience with even, even the slight sound of your autofocus. So your shutter. And um, so sometimes you just have to, like, it's better to give up those opportunities in lieu of the overall show. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that's, that's something that I've come to learn, like, to like the pictures are not the most important thing here, like to step back and, you know, maybe go to the back of the, of the arena or the venue at that point and get like your, your overview shot. So you're not disturbing anybody. So that was, that was an important lesson that I've learned, but also like, you know, there was a time where I, I switched, I switched gear and I brought like my brand new camera to a show and there was just things that. I never knew, you know, it's a mirrorless camera. So yeah. if I shoot, if, I, you know, I'm like, oh, great. I can shoot with a silent shutter and then I won't be disturbing anybody. And then not knowing that shooting with a standard, with a silent shutter changes it mm-hmm. to an electronic rather than manual shutter. And so the fluorescent lights will band. Yeah. You know? and, and so like, these are things that I didn't know. And, and also, you know, the same thing happens if your shutter speed's too quick. Um mm-hmm. And so these are just, you know, little, little tips that I've, I've thankfully figured out already. So I don't, I don't encounter them anymore. That's yeah, no, I've definitely fallen victim uh, to that because I know I've uh, fell in love with mirrorless um, when I started messing with it and it's definitely got a lot better, but the technology, yeah, it still creates it to where you get some banding. And um, I was um, operating under the pretense of, uh, a mirrored uh, camera, a digital camera. And so I'd have a shutter speed that I thought would be able to cancel out any kind of fluorescent light um, color change from picture to picture. And um, it didn't compute, you know, the math wasn't math thing. One plus one wasn't Mm -hmm. two. And, uh, and I mean, I was covering, I think the shoot specifically, I was in Bosnia and I was uh, following around a general while I was out there and um i thought the shoot was easy and i know the lighting conditions sort of sucked but i was like i'm good enough this is uh you know going to be fairly simple for what we need to do and yeah i mean with isos now being able to skyrocket and still get an acceptable image i'm like well they'll be happy with everything and so i shoot it um and i get back get back to my room plug in the card i see these bands go across the image and it's horrific and it's like going across the general's face it's not one of those things to where like if it was going across the chest or anything else i could sit there and spend some time editing more than you probably should for a shot like that but going across the face i was like this is not good <laughs> this is not going to leave a good uh impression to the general i think because it happened fairly early on when i arrived in bosnia and so um yeah i was stressed there happened to be i, I happened i think to not give them um <laughs> those specific images that i was able to put i put so many in there that they uh they forgot about that specific shot that he did ask for uh and then just <laughs> 
you know, by the grace of God and him being just a super busy guy, forgot about it and we were able to move on. But it was, yeah, I, that, I remember those are one of those times that that banding just really kicked me, kicked me in the nuts. And uh, I was thought, you know, the rest of my tour there was going to be an uphill climb because I know a lot of people like with what we do, um, our first impression sometimes just with life in general is a lasting impression. And then him looking at these photos, if, they weren't good. He's the whole rest of the time, whether he like truly meant it or not, he'd be like, Griff, are you going to be mm. able to get the shot? Are you going to be able to get the shot, Griff? And even though you've already given him 10,000 great ones, you know, you're always going to get that that little nudge, that little joking. And you're like, man, you'll never live it down. But um, yeah, no, that, that banding will get you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so with that, with where you're at now, um, is there anything specifically that you've thought to yourself, like, um, if I knew this when I was starting, uh, it would have been a great thing to know. It would have, you know, potentially would have changed one one or two shots or a shoot in general. Um, well, I guess it's probably like um, getting the permission, you know. So I always thought, you know, I, I went about it the wrong ways many times. Like you can't, it, it seems easy enough to, you know, send dm on instagram and be like hey i'd love to shoot your show but in reality most bands have a manager in place for a reason and um they're the ones that set up things like this and so um probably you know how like my cold emails and how i approach Mm -hmm. requesting permission for the first time because a lot of the time media covers these things you know local newspapers there's not much need for um, uh, a specific photographer to go in and cover the entire show, which is always my goal. You know, like when you're working for the media, you usually get the first three songs and then you're out of there, which is understandable because they don't want people down in the photo pit throughout the whole show, disturbing the audience. And I, like I get also um, distracting the musicians because it is confronting to have a lens in your face. And so, yeah, just, I guess like the the approach of, Mm-hmm. Um, rather than sending like, Hey, I'd love to shoot your show. Check out my website. Yeah. Rather than doing that, like send, send an email to the manager saying, you know, I've worked with our mutual friends, so-and-so, and like, here's a, I've put together a portfolio for you to look at and then send them a, like a, a direct portfolio that you've made for that request, you know? Yeah. So I really wanted to shoot, I really wanted to shoot, um, sleep token, yeah, and, well, I'm, um, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm super jealous. And so I knew from listening to them that they were heavily inspired by both Bonnie Vera and Mashuga. And and so I put together a tailor-made portfolio of mostly Bonnie Vera and Mashuga photos and sent it over. And it was successful, you know, and I got super lucky to catch them before they blew up. You know, they have a touring photographer now. So um, like I just slotted in. Mm-hmm. Um, easily to to accomplish that small life goal, you know. But oh, so I, I guess I have a question, and um, two contrastingly uh, different artists from Sleep Token to Bonnie Bear, um, and then the <laughs> shows themselves are lit. I I think from what I've seen in in your work, they're lit differently. Well, which to me would present a different kind of challenge. And so with like your knowledge and the experience that you have. Um, do you, what kind of checklist do you have when going into and covering these artists? Uh, so, you know, that when they see your images, they're going to be excited to, to have you back again. 
Well, mostly I, I make sure that I have a great picture of every band member. You don't want to play favorites. You know, you don't want to stalk the lead singer the whole time because they're only part of it. You know, um, you, you can call them a front man, but they are a, they are a part of a band. Um, and so, yeah, I like a I like a mix of focal ranges, first of all, because it gives you a mix in the in the edit. You know, you don't want everything at, at you know, 50 mil eye level so um once i've got or once i think i have um an image of everyone and an overall image of the stage um you know maybe with different lighting patterns etc then i move into like my more personal goals of of say shutter drags or or something that i could then work into mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a composite image that might be something that they haven't seen before. Yeah, that's really so, dope. Yeah, that's about my checklist. Yeah, and and also, <laughs> and also sure if, <laughs> yeah, and also if there's um like if I'm given the whole show, then I'll also um you know you want to get it from around the venue. If the venue is cool, you want to show some of those architectural mm-hmm. features. Yeah, um, it's always nice if you can also shoot the crew, you know, because they yeah. they're unsung heroes. Um, Most definitely. But also the audience, you know, if you can spend some time getting, getting some, you know, some passion shown from the mm-hmm. audience or, like, you know, at the Meshuggah shows, there's often like uh, mosh pits, which are interesting. Yeah. Right. Or just, yeah. you know, Is that sketchy drag. for you being near though? I mean, do you ever put yourself when you want a little bit more excitement, maybe closer to the action of something like a mosh pit or you sort of stay back because you don't want to risk uh, your gear. Um, if there's time, I'll go into a mosh pit. Um, <laughs> it is, you know, what I'm worried about most is, is there's always some dude who likes, oh, sorry, there's always some person who likes to throw a beer in the air, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that, that gets a little iffy sometimes. So I'll, I'll read the crowd. Um, usually there's a second level that you can shoot shoot the mosh pit from yeah because um, it, it always you know you always get some fun pictures out of that yeah yeah and so you cover a lot of incredible artists uh for your work do you ever find it challenging to be able to just go to a show as uh just someone there to really just take it in and, and not look not try to look at it from a photographer's perspective and just take in the music and the experience yes and no like um <laughs> honestly there I haven't been to a show that I haven't shot in a very long time unless it's unless it's Bonnie Vare. um mm-hmm. recently they played the UK they had a little UK tour and I shot the first date and then I followed them around the country for the rest of the and it, it was the first time that I was a spectator at one of their shows since like I think it was it was eight times I had shot for them and then I was a spectator okay so I hadn't gone to the show without any stress I hadn't, you know, just sat in a seat and enjoyed myself. And it was, mm-hmm. it was amazing just, just to see the whole production and not see it through, you know, four by six frames Yeah, and not, you know, stressed about getting to the top level of the arena, you know, between songs. Um, but also um, I wanted to shoot it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I guess so, when, yeah. when you went, when you went there um, just to not shoot it, 
and I know I asked like to just try to enjoy the experience, but did, do you think doing that it helped you look at it differently to potentially try something different? Um, or you feel like you, you sort of have a great idea walking in uh, when it is time to take a picture? Um, well, it certainly gave me a, I had a better understanding of what the show looked like in total and, and the phases that it goes through and like the flexing that their, their, their creative director puts out, you know, like the, uh, Mike Brown is their, is their set design and, and he, he has the best ideas, you know, and it's always changing. Um, so while, yes, I know what I'm after and I know what songs will look best close up and far away, um, it's still in, like incredible to to watch what they put on, and it was easy to turn off as a photographer and just enjoy as a fan. It yeah, was, it was yeah, it was actually really, you know, relaxing and beneficial, and 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 I I still whenever I can catch their show, if I'm shooting or not, I go. So with that, do you have any other artists or bands right now that you would like to just go and experience and listen to, or? Uh, are you much more focused on just hopefully getting the opportunity to to work and, and capture their shows live? Um, that I just want to go see. Um, yeah, yeah. Is there any right now? Like, yeah, you just you just love to just go see and not and not work. Well, sleep token because I've only yeah. seen them once in my shot. Um, uh, and I checked a huge one off my bucket list a couple of weeks ago, which was the Mars Volta. You know, they wow, they were huge. Yes. Oh, wow. They were huge, you know. I was like twenty, like yeah, yeah. It was all I listened to, and then they they disbanded for a while, and then they they came back on tour, and I bought tickets instantly. They were the first concert tickets I bought since like well before the pandemic, and um, and and then I started sending out my cold emails, and nobody got back to me until the CEO of their management company was the one who finally got back to me, and he and he said no problem. Jesus. And, yeah. And so um they had an interesting policy. You know, they were first three songs from front of house. So no pit access. Okay. And so, like we were saying, you know, being in the mosh pit, I did mm -hmm. not expect the mosh pit that I encountered at the Mars Volta. But yeah, no, I don't I think was, a Mars Volta. I don't think that was. <laughs> It was, it was the most energetic show I think I've ever been to. It was insane. And I definitely got beer all over my camera, but the pictures are cool. Um, but as far as um, I, my goal is Fiona Apple. You know, she doesn't tour very often. Yeah. But when she does, I hope to be there. That's super cool. And is yeah. there anything that for her is projected coming up or still TBD? Um, well, Meshuggah's coming back pretty soon. So that's mm -hmm. always exciting. Um, and then, yeah, TBD. Okay. Yeah. So, no, that's really cool. So I've had you for a while, but I do have two more questions for you uh, before okay. I let you go. And the first one is, um, can you share um, any kind of special experience or uh, what the Eddie Adams workshop has meant to you? Oh, well, really, um, the workshop has given, like, I'm I'm very thankful that it gave me a spot to belong, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I applied as kind of a, an oddball. And when I showed up, I had a bit of imposter syndrome because, you know, there was all this hard hitting journalism everywhere. And I had, I had, you know, creative long exposures and artsy stuff, artsy portraits. 
And it was kind of difficult to see where I fit in, but um, it wasn't long before, like I never felt out of place. I never, I was never made to feel like I was out of place, I should say. Yeah. And, and I came to realize that um, they, like they encourage all types of photography and all types of photography tell stories. That is the goal. And so, um, yeah, it's really opened up, you know, photography can be pretty singular. Mm -hmm. you know, you, you, a lot of my friends don't understand that I'll travel across the world for a picture or I'll stay up all night in the freezing cold in my hometown to shoot the Northern Lights. Yeah. You know, they, they think that's a little bit crazy, <laughs> but like everybody at the workshop understands that because we, we all, no matter where we come from or our background or, or our interest in photography, like we all share this common connection that we love to create images and, and that, and going through the experience of the workshop really forges these what feel like unbreakable connections with like-minded people, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, while I felt like an imposter going in, like I, I certainly felt like I was a part of something big, bigger than me when I left, you know? Well, I mean, and I think now you're a part of that big thing. And, and I think uh, a lot of the conversations that the workshop has is uh, doing a better job, like you said, of communicating that this is for every kind of photographer. So uh, like when the students of tomorrow and next year and uh, years going on, that when they apply by seeing your pictures, whether it's on social media or on the website or they they hear this podcast, uh, like you're helping break uh, down you're helping break through um, people seeing and understanding like hey this is a place for me too I'm sort of not gonna be uh, you know the the black horse I'm not gonna be or the black sheep uh, of going to this thing uh, just because I want to experience stuff with a lot of you know world recognized talent whether it's photographers or editors or producers um, and so I know like I'm grateful one for you being able to uh, so graciously share your time today to be able to share your story. And because it's going to, I really feel help a lot of people have the confidence to, uh, if, if they don't get accepted this year, but apply for next year or three years from now uh, to the workshop, because they're going to honestly feel like this is a place for me. This is a place that's going to benefit me. And it's going to be a place that people understand me instead of walking in feeling different uh, and having to go through and, and really meet people and, and then because yeah, everyone there is so kind. Everyone is there for the students. And I know like you being on teams and uh, like, it, it's like, what is it like for you? I guess that's one thing I haven't really dug into with anyone before. What was it like for you to have the students there and, and create an experience for them? Because it is incredibly stressful. They're around a lot of talent there, whether it's their peers or team leaders or um, other black team members. Um, and then they have to also produce something while they're there as well. Um, can you share a little bit of your experience, what it's like uh, as uh, a team uh, leader, wrangler, um, mentor, a little bit of everything? <laughs> well, I just, when I applied for the Black team, I thought back to my memories of them when I was a student, right? And and I I had a few distinct memories of certain people, but then there was a lot of just ghosts in the background, right? Like you kind of recognize them, but you wouldn't really see them very often. And then 
after the workshop, you realize like these people are heavy hitting photographers and they were just, <laughs> they were just driving around the farm on a gator or like, or, or making Brussels sprouts in the kitchen or like John said, or in the band, you know, like the mm -hmm. singer of the band is like the photo editor of the wall street, you know, of wall mm -hmm. street journal. It's like, yeah. um, so yeah, mind blowing. Um, and so it was, it was always my intention to just, um, help provide the experience that I had as a student to the next group of students and to try to make it as unparalleled of an experience as it was for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, like I, I never thought I was going to get into the workshop and, and then I got in on my first try, which is me and John Cherry, pretty much the only humble brags, you know, I mean, the, humble pain, brag. the pain of all um, the belts out here, you know, <laughs> struggling. and then when I applied for the black team, I was like, certainly I'm not going to get on the black team. And it's hard mm -hmm. to sell yourself to be on the black team because, you know, you can't use the, the accolade. Mm -hmm. like, I'm a great photographer, you know, yeah. they, they know that. And that's yeah. not the reason that you're there. And so when I applied for the black team, I put that I was good at, I, that I didn't drink and that I was good at driving long distances and they put me on the black, <laughs> they put me on the transport team. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and then when I went back um, as a producer, um, it was just, it was, it was amazing to, uh, reach out to the community and to hear the reception and the reputation that the, the workshop has within that community. You know, everyone's heard of it. Everyone has a, a great impression of it. Mm -hmm. And, and then it was really nice to just be there for the students, you know, to yeah. answer their questions and, and to, reassure them you know when they were worried about their stories like this is this is the safest place to fail that there is and so you're here to learn don't expect a Pulitzer Prize from the images that come out of the workshop mm -hmm. you're you're here strictly to learn and to improve um and so yeah I'm just um I'm 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 absolutely willing to do anything to help the workshop and um it's just the most special place and so it is, it's, and I've been extremely, uh, what's the word? I think I've been surprised at the, the benefit, uh, the different kinds of ways that the workshop has benefited people uh, that have gone through, um, whether it's during or after, whether it's immediately after um, or years after, like with Cesar, every time he comes back, there always seems to be opportunities um, and jobs that come from when he's on Black team and when he leaves uh, for additional work for him. And, and so for you, has there any been any kind of thing like that by attending to the workshop? Is there someone um, that you made a connection with uh, that it benefited for you, like post-workshop? Yeah, I mean, there's been a few instances where um, I've gotten jobs from mm -hmm. people who, who are in the workshop and they know where I am. And so they've recommended me for, you know, for assignments or or assisting work. Um, I also uh, benefited from I was shooting my cousin's wedding, which nobody wants to do. But like, of course, <laughs> no, you're right. I have to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I had an assistant lined up who bailed on me last minute and that night I was you know I, I just saw that one of my teammates from when I was a student which was 29 
um, was in London. And, you know, I sent him a message. I'm like, dude, can you save me? And he's like, of course I can save you. And so he came out and, and we, we killed that wedding, you know, we did such yeah. a, and he was so pivot, like, I knew I could trust him. I knew that he knew what he was doing and he could anticipate my needs before I, I even knew, you know, just because we, we both worked in that industry. So it was, it was amazing, but also like what I really take away from the workshop, you know, cause I'm not really, I'm not in the photojournalism world. So it's understandable that I wouldn't be, you know, receiving assignments from the New York times after the workshop, mm-hmm. but like, like the people that you meet, it's just, you know, they come from everywhere and you develop these friendships and, you know, the most obscure places, but also the most obvious places. So whenever I'm, you know, in New York city, I know like five people that I can stay with right. or, yeah. you know, or we go, I go on road trips with like, with, or they come to shows with me. And um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely the gift that keeps on giving the workshop with the people that you meet and the networking and, you know, I took a, I took a sick portrait of Dan Winters at the Eddie Adams. Where, so where else, where so else does that happen? Right. You know, yeah. You was my lighting assistant. Where else does that Jeez. happen? It's just these. Yeah, it's these memories that are irreplaceable, and they don't they don't happen anywhere else. All right. Well, you definitely have a place to stay if you're ever in the D.C. Baltimore area. So, so nice, buddy. Stay. And yeah. so, um, and I guess too, and I know, um this slipped past my mind, but can you share a little bit of what it was like to um, get into one of the most prestigious art schools uh, in the world? Ah, Well, I will tell you that I got into that school because I needed two references. And my two references were Carol Guzzi, who has four Pulitzer Prizes, and Carolyn Cole, who has two Pulitzer Prizes. So how could they really say no? (laughs) That, well, I guess I should have mentioned that when you when you asked about how the workshop has benefited me, because that that was definitely, you know, pretty surreal. Um, but yeah, it was in a it was it was the the art and like the the Royal College of Art as an institute is a bit of a shit show. But really <laughs> what it the benefit is that it attracts some amazing people like the the peers, you know, I had 50 students along the course with me and we learn so much from one another and and the staff that they have are also willing to help and knowledgeable and it's pretty much a self-led course you know you have lectures or various visiting artists that you can learn from but pretty much you're left to your own devices and um it was it was interesting to me to see where I started and where I ended up by the end of it when I was given free reign to explore um and like I told you, I had this long running project where I where I seek out kind of, you know, lost narratives and abandoned spaces and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's hard to put that into a series that I can hang on the wall because it's so broad. And um, and so my my time at the Art Institute really allowed me to focus on something in order to present it at the end. Mm-hmm. and to keep it in the same realm of where I started and I found this this strange street in the north of London called the Bishop's Avenue and um it's it was once the second most expensive street in Britain I think so we're talking like ridiculous mansions embassies 
um, just staggering wealth when you walk down the street. But you get to a certain point of it and you can start to smell this decay on the breeze. Okay. And there's just Mm -hmm. this ghost town of houses. And um, pretty shocking considering London is facing, you know, a housing crisis and there's 350 empty bedrooms (laughs) up on Bishop's Avenue. And so, um, yeah, it was interesting to be given the opportunity to delve into a project like that and then to show it at the end. Um, And it kind of took on, you know, there's a lot of conceptual projects that go on at the art institute but or Mm -hmm. at the royal college of art but this was um you know documentary and political and so it was just pretty cool to show something and i also had to i had to change my my approach because a lot of the time um when i when i shoot these places i have to sneak in i have to make sure nobody sees me yeah yeah Um, and i and i totally had to change my approach because that street is so heavily secured um that uh, I can't break into, you know, there's, there's guard dogs, there's, there's guards, there's security. Yeah. And so it turned into this cool, um, you know, I went up on the street with strobes and then lit up the houses from the streets, like haunted houses. And then when the cops showed up, they couldn't do anything because I was shooting from the streets. <laughs> and to me, that's like you were saying, um, like making that connection to your father, the adventure, the thrill the excitement just you explaining it that way and pinning that picture to me is stressful Uh, yeah like i said with all that gears thinking around doing this long form project evading you know not just people but dogs i'm like geez you know sound just like your dad and uh that's really cool to see that that connection and to a really really cool project thanks thanks griff yeah and so with that one final question which is i think a a great transition um with all these different things that you shot all these different experiences you've had um do you have a favorite photo and again it doesn't have to be your own or it can be it could be a project i know with alexis he he was sharing that um a person actually inspires him when it comes to his work that he was working long term with or he still is working long term with a professional ballerina um but again going back to that do you have a favorite photo i have a favorite photo that i took and a favorite photo that somebody else took is that okay i would love to hear it so my favorite photo that somebody else took is Dan Winter's portrait of Laura Dern, because I'm sure there was traditionally beautiful images of her in that role, but he had the guts to choose this kind of tense image. And I just really respect that, um, you know, untraditional beauty and, and it just, it creates, it has this, this tension that, you know, isn't often seen. And I I just love that he chose that as his final image. And then um, a favorite image that I've taken probably came from that Bishop's Avenue project. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I spent a lot of time just going up there and, and, and lighting these houses from the street and paying attention to cues that I got from the surrounding areas. And there was one house that was my favorite. It's called Oak Lodge. And um, it had a, there was a petition to tear it down and turn it into kind of like a Beverly Hills style condo. But um, the council stopped it because they weren't sure who who built it and it could be grade listed. So it was kind of in this limbo. And um, I stalked it for a long time. It was behind a huge fence 
and it had all these CCTV camera signs and it had guard dog on duty. But I never saw these, you know, I went to the street so many times. And I never saw a guard dog. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> once I had my project completed to to the to the point where I could present it as my final grad project at the at the RCA, I went back up there one more time with all my gear and, a, and an assistant and I jumped the fence and I opened like I went to push the front door and it, and it just pushed open. OK, wow. Yeah. And so um, I, I quickly called my assistant from the street and I said, bring everything. And so she, <laughs> she comes running across the front lawn and I, I slap, uh, you know, the strobe on the stand and I put it in the doorway and I say, okay, you stand in front of the light. And, and I, and I ran back to the middle of the garden and I quickly set up my camera and I took one frame and that image was like the, you know, the Mecca of my, of my final project. Um, and it was just so funny because my goal was to not be seen, like to get in there, get out without the picture taken, uh, without anybody noticing. Um, because obviously I have a, I have a huge red strobe in the middle of this house. Right, that the yeah. neighbors are going to notice, right? And so we got in, we got out. The image was was exactly what I wanted it to be. And then I went back up maybe two weeks later and there was, there was like a, like a 20 foot fence around this house. So I guess, I guess, <laughs> I guess somebody did notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really cool. I mean, and that's the story. I really love that. And because that is definitely, I think the one that you shared with me before. Yeah. That I've highlighted. Yeah. I really love that shot. And I feel too seeing um, that shot and, I feel like there is definitely inspirations too for how like you capture Bonnie Vare and uh, the other artists and seeing um, the way you tell stories and you cover things like that and and putting your identity and covering um, those that that long term project is is really cool and it's it's what makes your work stand out amongst the community compared to yeah what we see from a lot of other of the photographers that we have around us in in our community that are journalists um or more what what you would consider i would say a traditional uh photographer path but that's really that's really neat Thanks, Griff. Yeah. And so with that, I always like to give the final word uh, to the guest. And uh, I would like to sh- ask you, do you have any parting words or th- anything that you'd like to share before you go? Um, I would just love for, you know, more non-photojournalist photographers to know that there's a place for them at the farm. There's a reason that they accept oddballs like me, and it's because they respect good image making you know um stories are told through many different forms of photography and um and also you know you you often send out you know uh requests if we're willing to check portfolios as they're being submitted as students are working on them and i've i've helped a few students throughout the years and a lot of the time i i see people submitting pictures that they think the workshop wants to see you know full stories um and then and then i go and check their social media their instagram and i see that there is a completely different realm of of photos that they take that are amazing 
that aren't necessarily photojournalism. And I think that there is, you know, I, I think that a lot of people should have the the knowledge and the guts that they can they can submit those images because they really demonstrate the passion that they have for taking photos rather than their ability to tell a complete story because there's no captions when you when you submit to the workshop so mm -hmm. you're leaving you know if you accept if you send 20 images from the same story you're expecting them to know what your what your story is about and if they don't then everything's falling flat um so I would, I would just, you know, there's room for creativity. There's room for what you love. If you take pictures of things that you love, it becomes obvious. And so I would just, um, yeah, I would just yeah, no. <laughs> to share, you no, know, non-traditional images that they love. 100%. And uh, you couldn't have said it better myself. That's something that has been echoed when we've done our live streams uh, from the other, when we'd have panel on, they discuss when they're, people are submitting portfolios is ex sharing and echoing exactly what you said uh, perfectly. And uh, if anyone can take any way, anything away from this episode of this podcast, I know we packaged it here at the end and I think it's perfect, but that's incredible insight and uh, advice for someone to have when applying to uh, future years at this workshop to um, ask, uh, solve that question. Cause I do get a lot of DMS, uh, from people applying to the workshop, like what kind of picture should I put in? Should I put this in? And should I put that in? And really it's like, it's, a it's a very broad question that doesn't have an exact answer, but if there was one to point someone in the right direction and how to build their portfolio for the workshop, it's with, it's with what you just shared. Um, and so, Thank you for sharing that uh, incredible advice, uh, incredible tip for those applying to the workshop. And um, with that, I think that wraps up today's episode. I want to thank you again uh, for sharing your time. I really enjoyed everything I learned with you. I, there's so much I didn't know before. I, I know now, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot for us to catch up on when we show up in October. Uh, I can't wait to see you, buddy. Things. Yeah, right. It's going to be here before you know it. And I'm really excited uh, to see everybody. Yeah, for sure. Always uh, the best time of the year. Right, exactly. But awesome. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. And I guess I'll be seeing you soon. <laughs>